some of you don't know it yet, but you're already more free than when you walked in the room. Um, it was such a release of freedom from shame and, and guilt and fear happening just in worship. And you maybe you've heard it even in the worship. We, we believe that God is a God where he's experienced. We don't just believe that we're free. We actually walk in freedom. Uh, we don't just believe he's here. We feel he's here. We don't just believe that people could be healed. People do get healed. And uh, I, I felt this morning that there was, there was somebody getting healed of fibromyalgia in the room. I saw like um, a feeling of, of irritation down the nervous system in their body. Maybe it's not fibromyalgia, but th- th- there's, a, there's a kind of constant, like an unpleasant electrical buzz going around their body. I just felt peace was coming on you, on your body right now. And uh, uh, just you, 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 you'll, you'll find you're, you're done. You sort it out. Yeah. Happens all the time. People come up to you after meetings and say, "Oh, while you were speaking, I got healed of my dodgy hip or my problem back or my eyesight got fixed or whatever." So um, we don't we don't hype it up because you just don't need to. <laughs> Why? He did the work. Um, so you don't have to work if you're sitting there thinking well that's me that's me oh I've got to, be, got to get healed no you don't have to get healed you have permission actually permission not to get healed even if it is you and then I've had people get healed when I've told them they don't have to be healed there's this whole pressure thing that comes he's done the work he's already done the work and, and if there's a theme what I'm going to bring this morning it's about it's about that I um I have a title, I have a series, um, Beliefs and Mindsets that Change Cities and Nations. And this is part one, The Power of the Cross and the Resurrection. And I just want to give you a bit of a backdrop to, to, to this. Um, during last autumn, some of you remember I, I did a short series on us getting the nutrients out of what God was doing to us and through us and around us and not just you know, observing a miracle or observing a breakthrough like we watched a movie and moving on but allowing the things that God was doing to inform our faith and energize our faith just like the disciples are actually rebuked for not learning having seen two, two miracles of bread being multiplied they're then anxious that they only have one loaf in the boat if you remember the story there in the gospels that actually Jesus was expecting them to have got nourished and nutrients out of the miracles they'd seen in order for the next moment where they needed provision whereas they just thought it was amazing all this fish and bread multiplying but never kind of didn't take with them what was being taught them by the presence of God by God in that environment and I was teaching this to you all and uh, and having a, a busy autumn and lots of fun traveling with with Teresa my wife we uh, we went to South Africa for a couple of weeks and uh, this, this this we had this uh, then we came back here and we were in the middle we came back and, and everybody was like wow the worship's changed and some of you remember that that I was saying yeah it has changed what are you doing in the worship Holy Spirit and, and he said to me remember Jehoshaphat and that's where they sent the worshippers ahead of the army and then they just worshipped and God basically beat up on the enemy yeah. um, and, and I just felt that's what was happening through our worship and and 
at the end of that time, uh, Mary Lou, who's just sitting there, came up and said, it's funny you should say that, because I saw in the worship, I saw a vision of knives dropping out of people's hands around the city. So the next week, I shared this. I said, well, it could be that our worship is actually affecting the atmosphere so much, we're getting like a prophetic insight that, that people are dropping knives. And then at the end of that meeting, yeah. uh, Hannah here rushes up to me and says she's this amazing criminologist who knows about all this stuff and all the stats and she's flicking on her phone and says there's been this unexplained drop in knife crime in our city and 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 here's here it's being reported in the bbc i mean this is and this is not to take away from the incredible efforts of the police over the years and all that, but, but actually supernaturally, or to us, or unexplained to them, suddenly less people are carrying knives in our city. Yeah. That's not a coincidence. That's a God incident. And I, I stood up here and said, you know what? People are still alive in this city because you worshipped. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, then we, we went on to Paris and... Uh, we, we just so happened coincidentally to be beginning our conference on the night of the atrocities that happened in the Bataclan and all the people that died and were blown. We, we were actually beginning, I was in Paris with a team speaking as people were being blown up and shot. Um, and and that, that does something to you. We kind of knew we were there for a reason. Um, and then and remember I'm speaking about things that have happened to you God's speaking to you through what's happening to you the breakthroughs and we had some amazing breakthroughs just in the meeting a woman with uh, whose sight was really really impaired a young woman just got all her sight back just in a prophetic activation and a woman with like migraines and 14 years, continuous headaches, got completely set free. Someone else in their 50s who'd had asthma all their life just set free in a moment. Just incredible breakthroughs of the life of God in the backdrop of this, this sort of awful tra- tragedy. And then, so we're back home and I got invited up to Inverness to speak in Fire Ministries School and, and, I, and I'm I kind of know what I'm going to say but I don't know how to start and, and, I, and the worship's going on and I'm sitting right on the front row and I, I kind of need, need a bit of zoned out me and Jesus space at the front and I'm sitting down and I, I, this, this is about me alright this is not about the people who then start to do the dancing And alright I'm not but then they call the dancers forward and, and I'm like and, and this dancing is going on in front of me and there's, there's one uh, amazing woman who's doing her dance all the way across the front and she's kind of literally like here's me trying to get the me and Jesus thing going and she's doing her thing about two feet away from me and I'm like and I'm watching it and, and in my heart I'm, I'm despising what she's doing I'm just <laughs> honestly I'm not enjoying this I'm judging it I'm like this is weird this is wacky but what I'm really saying is don't invade my space. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the preacher here. Get out of my face. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and probably some other unhelpful and sinful things are bubbling up. So. And, then, and then God reminds me of a message I spoke a long time ago about how he wraps up things we need in things we don't actually <laughs> like that much. Yeah. 
and how he, how he has this way of, of blessing us from the most unlikely and sometimes to us unwelcome places. And I remember this message and then the Holy Spirit says to me really clearly, listen to what she's saying. And she's kind of skipping and dancing in front of me. I'm like, okay, God. And she's coming out with this phrase, the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our God. And he said, you know this message you've been speaking about, learning from what I'm doing to you, I want you to learn from what's happened to you this autumn. Because I've put you in cities and nations at crucial moments. And I did it for a reason. So when we went to Cape Town, uh, which was at the beginning of, of, sort of October, the very first morning we're having breakfast with the, the pastor of the church, Christopher Adams, who's, who's the dad of Julian Adams, as some of you know. And we're there and we're like, the sirens are going and the police armoured cars are coming past the window of the place we're having breakfast. And, and it's like, what's going on and there's this major kerfuffle sort of inter-gang warfare going on in the township at the back of where we're staying and uh, they tell us all that gone on really gory horrible details and, and, and as we go to bed later that night and about three o'clock in the morning I, I kind of stir and I look over Teresa's not there she's awake interceding for peace to break out because I have a wife that believes that her prayers change cities. Her prayers change atmospheres. Her prayer, she just believes that. And I'm like, I'm having some sleep is what I'm doing. Um, but that happened. Then we come back and, you know, people aren't carrying knives in our city because we, and I'm sure others worship and pray. And the, the presence of God hosted in worship cannot help but affect the wider atmosphere of the city it's happening in and we suddenly start to have some some level of empirical evidence that's actually happening to to build on and affirm our, our prophetic insight which is super exciting isn't it and, and then I find myself in Paris and and so here I am all these events are beginning to be connected in my mind by the Holy Spirit as I'm listening to this woman singing and saying out that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. And God starts to speak to me about how he's positioned me and positioned us to change and transform cities. And I've put you in these situations. So we then connect to someone who was in the Paris conference who comes up to us and says, uh, you know that there was maybe as many 50 of us in the room that night, uh, younger people, we would have been in the bars and the restaurants that were blown up and shot at had you not been there doing your conference. So between 30 and 50 people were not injured or are still alive because we showed up. There's people walking around this city who have not been slashed and not been stabbed because we showed up it does something to you uh, and, and, and there are other things around that so as awful as the atrocity was there were real fingerprints of God's preserving favour on the event so it could have been a great deal worse and we were getting stories from, from Parisians of how they could see God had done things to 
if you like, confine the damage that was done in that city. So it just so happened that the week before the atrocity, every hospital in the city had undergone special training for um, crisis events. And, and what do they call it? Disaster, disaster relief which meant that every person that got to a hospital, no one died in hospital because they were all prepared. Everybody who made it to hospital got healed. There was one person with a vest trying to get into the, uh, is it Parc de France? Stade de France. And there was a big football game and a high profile people in there. But someone frisked him and didn't let him in. So he basically blew himself up. Oh, and he was late because there was a traffic jam. <laughs> so you just see, you know, God's heart is for saving cities. Yeah. He's, he wants to preserve life and not destroy life. And, and so I'm having this moment as this lady is going up and down saying, I've put you in places. I've, I put you in Cape Town when that was kicking off. I put you in Paris when that was kicking off. In the middle of that, you landed back in Glasgow which historically has been known as, the, the, statistically, was the murder capital of Europe. It isn't anymore. Yay! It, it isn't. <laughs> there are other cities in the UK that are far worse. And, and it's just, I believe that some of that is because we are here. Yeah. And others like us, don't but yeah. so So this is all going on. And then... Four weeks now, every time I'm in the presence of God, I'm getting a download about nation and city transformation. So you'll notice in our, in our mission statement, we, we are here to transform people, families, churches, cities and nations by giving them experiences of the goodness of God until earth looks like heaven. Amen. And, and so I want to I teach you, this is... This is massive. Yeah. And I think one of the keys to it is what we believe and what our mindsets are, not how many people we have or what great strategy we have. So <clears throat> this is, that's the kind of way I arrived to this morning. So I've been waiting um, for the right time to, to kick off. So here we are. And uh, <laughs> I even realized that some of the verses God used to call me... Um, Oh, that's a blank page. That's not a lot of use. Call me. We're about city transformation. Uh, so Isaiah fifty-eight twelve is, is a scripture very meaningful to me. Back, God used it to call me, and it actually talks about that the ancient ruins will rebuild, and you'll raise up the foundations of many generations. You'll be called the repair of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. I never understood why. I just know I was called to do that. I thought it was all about restoring the church. I actually think it's about restoring cities and nations, which happens as the church is restored. So some sort of things in my life belatedly seem to be making sense <laughs> as God sets me up to be in places where people are dying, but God is breaking in and doing an incredible job. So... I want to start with the, with the Great Commission because Matthew 28, 18 to 20, if we can flick that up. Uh, we've talked about this before, but I want to get us into this biblically. Jesus came to them and said, 
authority in heaven and oh, earth is there, given to me. Well, see, this is after his crucifixion, after the resurrection. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I'm with you always. The Great Commission is primarily targeted at discipling nations. And what's happened is the church has made it about discipling people. And of course, discipling people, individuals, is important. But they've also shrunk the outcome of the cross and the resurrection to personal salvation. Whereas actually, you're going to see that actually the outcome is way, way bigger than that. So Jesus actually said, go change nations. And he didn't say it to thousands of people. He didn't have a large following at this point. There was between 82 and 120 people probably really got this at that point in time. (laughs) And what happens to us is we hear this, how can I change the planet? But the truth is many people have changed the planet. And the truth is one man, Jesus, changed the planet. And I talked about that last week. And he's living inside us. So his ambitions are becoming our ambitions. And (laughs) I was thinking back on the 9th of April this year coming up back in uh, over in Los Angeles. They're having an Azusa Now um, gathering. Because it's 110 years since the Azusa Street Revival. Now, the Azusa Street Revival was the beginning of what's become called the Pentecostal and then Charismatic Movement. It started in 1906. And actually, it didn't start in the original, the building that is now knocked down. It started on the front porch of a house. So many people were showing up that the porch fell off the front of the house. So they had to find a building. So they found an old Methodist church that had been converted into a stable for horses and moved in there. And the stories go that literally fire engines would show up because there was literal fire seen falling on the building but not consuming it. The the glory cloud inside the building was so thick you could part it with your fingers and they employed people to go around to sweep up the tumours and cancerous growths that fell off people when they walked into the place. People would fall on their faces, kind of knocked out in the spirit, up to 200 yards away from the building. And people came from all around the world to that hot spot. And similar things broke out in other places, including Sunderland in the UK. And the outcome of that move of God is in the last 110 years, more people have got saved through the, the Pentecostal charismatic movement than all the people that got saved in the previous 1900 years. I'm going to say that again. More people have been converted since 1906 to now than were converted in the previous 1900 years from the death of Jesus. Because God broke out by the Holy Spirit. And it was because one man called Seymour, who was a black man, I think with one one good eye, actually said, what we need is the presence of God. He changed the world. And it's still changing. And there was others like him, but history records this man. He was calling those meetings where the porch fell off the front of the house. He was, he was the preacher. He was the one they all looked to. He even did crazy things like, like 
if you imagine him being, you know, how do we get to be culturally relevant, connect to our culture? Well, putting a cardboard box on your head when you're preaching would not be on our list. But that's kind of the, one of the things he did. So I'm just saying to you that when we connect to this commission and we connect it the right way, it actually is possible. I don't know why he put a cardboard box on his head. He just, it was about kind of being humble that was an expression of humility I think and and anyway the whole Azusa so they're renewing there's a call gone out that there's a whole hundreds of thousands of people gathering on the 9th of April because there was prophetic words that a hundred years after Azusa there would be another greater awakening than Azusa was and I believe that I believe it's coming and I believe God is setting us up to be part of what he's pouring out next not just what he has poured out. Um, so the greatness of the mission that he commissions us to reflects the magnitude of our position. I'm going to say that again. The greatness of the mission, so world-changing mission, reflects the greatness of the position he's elevated us to. So we've talked a lot about our identity here. He's given us a job commensurate with who he's made us. And what happens, what's happened in the church is we've forgotten who we are and so we shrink our mission. Because we don't feel like it's our mission. We feel like, well, I couldn't possibly change the planet. You know, that, that's, that's just a ridiculous thing. But that's forgetting who you are. The, the Great Commission reflects which is the great commission is to a great mission, reflects the greatness of the position he's now given you as sons and daughters of the king seated in heavenly places. You can't have a grand identity and a tiny destiny. (laughs) And he believes in us to achieve the impossible target of international transformation. He believes what he says. It's not divine suggestions like God woke up with a good idea, let's see if they'll do it. No, he actually, this is the plan. He actually believes we can do this. He believes in us that we are world changers. That's his conviction about you, is that you are a world changer. That's what he believes about you. You can argue with him about it, but you won't change his mind. so good I've argued with him about it a lot but it's still not changing and the size of your dream and your aspiration is actually a reflection of who you think you are and who you think he is if your dreams and aspirations are small maybe there's more work to do in getting in touch with how amazing he's made you shall I say that again because that was pretty good it's going to get better from here, so strap in and hold on. Uh, I might go a little over time, but I'm just going to do it. I've been brewing this one. The size of your dream and aspiration is a reflection of who you think you are and who you think he is. See, God doesn't believe in the power of flesh. He doesn't believe in the power of people movements. He doesn't believe in the power of numbers. 
We look around and think, well, how could, you know, there's whatever the number there is in the room, how, how could I change the world? How could 200 people change the world? How could 3,000 people? He, he's not interested in that. If you read the Old Testament, he changed, he rescued a city with two begging lepers. He defeated a massive army with a worship band. He drowned an army because some guy hit a sea with a stick. He caused walls to fall down that people just walked around for seven days and then blew trumpets. He caused 300 men to defeat multiple thousands of men because they blew trumpets and broke jars. See, God's not, it doesn't need your flesh. It doesn't need lots of energy. It doesn't need lots of human effort to bring a breakthrough. He calculates different. He goes, there's one of you and me, that's enough. That's his maths. It's like, but they don't teach that in school. No, but they should. He, when he gives this commission, Jesus has already died and been resurrected. And I believe that he is convinced that this is going to happen and is possible because he's believing two things. One, he believes in the power of what he's done on the cross and therefore the authority he now has. And he believes in the power that he was about to send to them and they were about to receive. So he's done something enormous at the cross and resurrection that has actually set the scene for them to then be, be invaded by the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2 for them to then implement all that he's done. So just my granddaughter joining in. That's great. How are we doing? We're we making sense so far. So this morning we're just going to talk about the power of what he did. And it's great that we celebrate that we're saved and that he died for us and that we're forgiven, that we're free and all the individual blessings that come to us because of what he did. But it he, he, he was bigger than that. Yes. I don't want to undermine that. Um, but, but, but if we just talk about the individual salvation, the power that I could be saved, we have shrunk what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection. Come on. It's much, much bigger than that. And I want you to hang with me here and go to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. I actually believe that our mindsets need to change. And as we, if we grasp, if you like, God's big ideas, it will actually bear fruit in powerful local transformation and action. If we shrink God's big ideas, we will shrink who we are, we will shrink our aspirations, and we will shrink what we do. So Colossians 1.19 says that in him, that's in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, he reconciled to himself all things. Things on earth or things in heaven by making through blood, through his peace, through his blood shed on the cross. Wow. And, and we don't have time to go there, but 1 John 3, 8 says that the, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. If we can just leave this, the other one up, if we could. The reason the Son of God appeared was to, it wasn't to soften the works of the devil. It wasn't to constrain. 
He was to destroy the works of the devil. And, and Jesus at his death and resurrection disarmed the rulers and the powers that have been ruling this world. And what happened at the cross is he didn't just reconcile you to him. He reconciled all things to him. Even heaven. They're like, well, was heaven ever unreconcilable? I don't think the heaven that surrounds Father God was ever unreconciled, but the heavenlies were, because heavenly powers were taken over by demonic powers. And Jesus has been raised up as the head over all authority, all authorities and every name that can be named. Both in the unseen realm and in the seen realm, Jesus has been raised already as the head and he has reconciled all levels of spiritual authority in their unseen realms to himself (laughs) as the supreme head over all. That's already done. So demons hold positions they have no right to remain in. The heavenly structures that oversee and influence the earthly workings of the world are still uh, occupied by the demonic realm, but the structures themselves have been fully reconciled to God. He is in charge of the cosmos. (laughs) That was a big thing. That's why when a church and churches rise up in worship and pull down heaven and host his presence, the spirit realm status quo in a city changes because the true authority has just manifest and the false authority can't remain. It's not a contest. Displacement is enough to achieve eviction. The presence of the owner is enough to evict the squatters. That's why hosting his presence is so important and why it's been so spoken against and so easy to deviate from. And he wants us, the enemy would love us to be distracted from any, anything that takes us away from just loving Jesus with all our hearts and all our minds and having his presence manifest more and more thickly and more and more powerfully. Because when the Father shows up, he owns it all. He is the owner. Everything else is that doesn't align with his authority is merely a squatter and cannot remain in the presence of the owner. (laughs) How are we doing? And and secondly, as if that's not big enough, the entire power structures of the spirit realm have been reconciled to God in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the supreme ruler over all authority, period. So go and change nations. See, it makes sense. Uh, he has become the ruler. We are now his representatives. Nation changing should be easy. If you believe that that's true rather than other things are in charge. Like politicians. I, I'm not, t- t- you know, we're not honor politicians, but they're not as in charge as you and I would think they are. All right, could we pull up um, 2 Corinthians 5.19? 
Jesus has reconciled all people to himself and released favour on them all. I don't believe that there are a select elect few. I believe Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And this scripture says that God was in Christ, (coughs) that God was reconciling the world, literally cosmos, to himself. So that's all the people, all the structures, all the atoms in the universe have been reconciled to God because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is more awesome than beyond words. And it doesn't count men's sins against them. Note that. That you don't have to believe. Some of you are like, whoa, he's becoming a universalist. It's okay, I'm not a universalist. But the fear of becoming a universalist has stopped many of us understanding the immensity of the grace released to the entire population of this planet at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, If we could pull up Romans 5, we haven't got time for all of it, but 5.18 would be fabulous. So the Bible says we all died in Adam, and we didn't know it. Actually, he then says that in Christ, everybody gets to be justified. Doing that university stuff again. No, no, no. Just, just before you bail out, just hold with me. Says, this is what it says. Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so the result of one act of righteousness, which was Jesus, was justification that brings life for all men. Not a few, all. Alright, so everybody was affected by Adam, whether they knew it or not. Everybody's affected by Jesus, whether they know it or not. Hmm, still think you're a universalist. No, I'm not. What, what are we saying? What are we saying? What we're saying is... God has released, this is, this is why it's difficult to reconcile what happens in the old covenant and the new. And one of the sessions I'm going to do is the epoch change at the resurrection of Jesus. God in Christ has reconciled the entire cosmos and every being in it to himself. Not every being in it is receiving that. Because you still need faith to connect to what he's already supplied. But basically he has released favour to every individual on the planet. It's like the person you work with, all the blessing of heaven is prepaid and just sitting over their head waiting them to connect to it. All of it. Healing, forgiveness, salvation, 
you name it, it's all there released to every single person on the planet that just needs someone to help them to connect to what God has already released. He's released favour on the planet. Old Covenant, he has not released favour on the planet. You can see pointers to this in the Old Covenant, and I mustn't go down that rabbit trail because that's going to be another day and we're already running out of time. The church has promoted, sometimes inadvertently, a view that the fall and its fruit are only partially redeemed. And that there are barriers that are only partly overcome. The job is only partly done and the kingdom can only partly come. Yet Jesus' message was that the kingdom is at hand and that he was the fullness of the kingdom. And when he cried out on the cross, he said, it's finished, not started. We are the enforcers and the implementers. We are not those who are earning the victory. We are the ones who are implementing the victory he already won. He put a lot of work in so that we could change the planet. The love of God is so powerful that it overwhelms all human weakness and all demonic strategy. I mean, another thing the church has done is parked some of the benefit in the future. But the church needs to celebrate the absolute dominance of Christ's victory over sin, Satan, and sickness for everyone who lives and will ever live. I'll say that again. So we're really good at celebrating. Church I've grown up with is good at celebrating. Thank you, Jesus, you saved me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, I'm going to heaven. Thank you, you've put the Holy Spirit in my life. All that is great. But we need to celebrate... Together, the absolute dominance of Christ's victory over all sin, over all that Satan has done, and over all sickness for everyone who lives everywhere. Yes. And whoever, who forever will live. I'm going to say that again. We need to celebrate that the cross and the resurrection has released Christ's victory to everyone who ever lived or will ever live. So all of their sickness, sin and satanic activity has already been overcome and healed and forgiven for everybody everywhere. We are literally pulling heaven's opinion and heaven's atmosphere and the heaven's established thought about the planet to the earth. And the church often has partnered with judgment, which is not actually what is being released now because of the resurrection. Favor is what got released. Judgment got consumed and uh, expended on Christ. Favor is now released to the planet. So it means that every pimp and prostitute in this city is already forgiven, loved and reconciled to God. They just need someone to give them an encounter that tells them that. So it's not just the people that are doing the sin, it's the people that are behind the people doing the sin. That's why I said pimp and prostitute. The streets in this city where you can get offered sex for 10 quid with a young girl. There's already reconciliation. There's already forgiveness. There's already freedom. 
for every single person in that situation. Your colleague that you work with or study with is already pre-qualified for blessing. He just needs someone to show him and tell him or her and give them a free sample of what their inheritance really is. So it's not like, oh, is this one the Lord is working on? He's worked for everybody. He's already done it for everyone around us. We're in the waking up business. The most diabolical schemes and actions of men in this city and this nation have already been forgiven. And it's really important then that we don't partner with judgment on the bad things of our city. The darkest fruit of years of abuse or joblessness has, not, has been redeemed at the cross. Three generations of unemployment does not cancel out the effect of the resurrection on someone's life. Being an addict, being raised by an addict, and giving birth to another addict is still not enough to cancel out the power of the resurrection and the blood of Jesus. And he's already paid for the freedom of every single addict on every single street corner. The worst diseases, the worst addictions are already healed by the blood that got poured out on the cross. If you could add it all up and stare at the horrors of this city, stare at its sin, stare at its depravity, stare at its sickness, stare at its addiction, stare at the broken families, stare at the whole thing, and then say, God, what did you do about it? What he did about it is so overwhelming you wouldn't be able to see it anymore. It would be drowned. Literally drowned like an ocean overwhelming a pea. Because he's reconciled all things. Everybody, everything. No one's done anything bad enough to not be reconciled. No one's sick enough to not be able to be healed. No one's depraved enough to not be able to be made new. No city is so big a sin city that it cannot be changed. And one of the things we'll talk about in this series is God actually just deals, doesn't just deal with individuals. He deals with, with cities. Cities have an identity in heaven. Nations have an identity in heaven. And God's in the business of saving cities and nations, of turning them and their cultures and beliefs. He has the power to do it, and he's already released it at the resurrection. It doesn't need a lot of people to do it. It just needs a people that believe that he's done it. The most entrenched family control is broken at the cross and resurrection. The worst diseases and addictions are healed. Redemptive solutions and strategies for our city have already been released. Schemes to bring the well-being of God to the earth are in the atmosphere for us to pull down and start to live out and implement. We haven't got to pray for God to think up something. He's already got it hanging like ripe fruit for believers to take hold of. So... 
A church that changes a city needs to believe the enormous reconciling power released at the cross to every soul. And that an entire city has been reconciled to God in Christ. It's his city, not theirs. It's not the devil's city, it's not our city, it's his city already bought and paid for. That favour and blessing is, is released to every life. That the city, our city, is loved by God despite its ills and its crime. And he's loving it and declaring and singing his love songs over it, wooing her back to her true identity and his, his love. And I, I believe there's no scar that Satan and sin can have put on this city that the love of God in Christ can't swallow up and heal. This is a beloved city. This is his dear green place. That's literally what the word Glasgow means. Some Celtic monk who set up a cathedral and did some miracles sat and said, this is a dear green place. And we have the opportunity to redeem a city back to its original identity. And one of the reasons we do declarations, and there's more to come, is we're actually speaking the true identity of this city to it. Because we believe that when Jesus said it was finished, it was finished and not just started. And that this city has an identity and a calling and a destiny in God, which is enormous and beautiful and profound. It has been a valley of Acor, a valley of pain but actually it's designed to be a place of great hope and that's why we're called Hope Church let's stand together oh boy you just got to let this explode inside of you <laughs> Father thank you for putting us in this great city Thank you that you love it more than we do. And uh, help us to love it like you do. And God, we want to call down blessing and favor and transformation on our city today. Because we're the ones who have the clout to do it because what you've already done. Mm -hmm. And if you've never experienced in your own life that you are reconciled to God... You have friendship with God. You have a relationship with God. Today is such a great day to put that, that lack right in your life. You can just, he's already forgiven you. He's already released blessing to you. He's already favored you. You just have to say, I want it. I'll take it. You don't need a special moment other than you just say, I'll take it, God. I'll take what you've done for me. I receive it. So, Father, thank you for our city. Thank you for our commission. Thank you for our great position. And we declare your goodness and greatness on this place. Amen. Amen.